We have always existed, and we are still here. Telling the stories of those slung dead, we won't disappear. We're taking the pen back into our own hands. We live and we breathe and we keep creating, taking a stand. History is queerer than you. and welcome to Making Queer History, the podcast where we look at queer history. Very exciting. I'm Laura. And I'm Will, and I'm hyped. Yeah, I'm hyped as well. Queer history. Even though I completely, like, sucked at that introduction. You, you do No second best. takes, though. No second takes. We don't do second takes here. We just either cut something out or we keep it in, and I'm not... Yeah, we're keeping it in. <laughs> we're going with it. We're going with it. So today we're talking about Rotimi Fanny Coyote. Yeah. Which I'm super excited about. He's probably one of my favorite people in history, despite not knowing too much about him, but a lot about his work. I feel like that's, like, true of a lot of people who are interested in art. They, like, don't know so much about the artist, but they love the art so much that they sort of love the artist by extension. I like that. Like, I feel like a lot of people who, like, really love Van Gogh might not know a whole bunch about his life, but that doesn't mean they love Van Gogh less. They just means they love Van Gogh in a different way than someone who's memorized all the dates of his life has. That is true, but especially I feel like for someone whose life influences art as much as Fanny Coyote, Mm -hmm. I feel like there is such a connection between the two. Yeah, 100%. That by extension, when you look at his art, you also know his person. I feel like that's true with, like, every artist, though. Okay. To, like, a certain extent, I feel like there's some artists that really work hard to remove themselves from their art, and there are some artists sometimes where, you know, you have to death of the author it, but at the same time, no matter how much you say death of the author, I think there's going to be something of the author in their art, and, or I say author, in the artists. You can see what I like doing just by what I'm saying, but I think there's always something of the artist in their art no matter what and especially i think this is really interesting to think about especially with the more like hashtag problematic artists like oscar wilde is a really great example because he was anti-semitic and you can see that anti-semitism in his writing definitely 100 percent. but you can also see a lot of his self-deprecation a lot of his cleverness and like i think it's such an interesting conversation to have talking about like the connection between the art and the artist because there's such a conflict between sort of the limiting idea of this person is either good or bad as soon as you throw art in. Because you're like, if they create beautiful things, isn't there a beautiful part of them? And I believe that no matter how horrible the person, you can't create beautiful art without having some beauty in you. That doesn't make you a good person, but I don't believe it comes from nowhere. That's real. And yeah, I, I thoroughly believe that the art will always be connected to the artist. Yeah, and I think that's something we should embrace much more than we should dismiss. Like, I feel like the more we dismiss it, the more cognitive dissonance we give to both ourselves and our own problematic behaviors and also the problematic behaviors of the artist, obviously. That's right. And the more we're like, we give excuses to the artists who are still alive who mess up. Like, we're like, well, we have to remove these things and we'll watch another Woody Allen film. You know what I mean? Mm, Yeah. We need to separate them. And I'm like, let's just really embrace the complexity of this and, like, really look at how Woody Allen films just legitimately suck. Just are bad. (laughs) Like, they're just bad films. Let's just, like, really embrace the complexity of sometimes there's a cute shot in there, 
but they're also pretty bad movies and he's a pretty bad guy so like i don't know what to say here <laughs> i don't know why we're keeping him around but maybe that's just my opinion i've only watched one of his movies so like y'all can drag me this is like a way more in-depth beginning than we usually start with in the podcast but also side note mm-hmm call out my contemporary literature professor. Okay. Told me yeah. that Sappho yeah. just because she writes poems about girls uh, doesn't yeah. mean she's interested in them because what if she's writing from the eyes of a man and she did have a husband and I'm like, shut up. I'm not going to say this is like 100% true but I remember reading it somewhere so don't quote me on this and please do your own research on this friends before you quote me but I think I remember reading somewhere where someone was like, yeah, Sappho was the creator of like the I don't remember what it's called but like the poetic so eye the poetic eye that's that's the thing mm-hmm. she was the creator of the poetic eye so I'm like we're saying she invented a thing just so we can distance herself from her lesbian like okay or by or by sapphic vibes I mm, okay hot take I think she's a lesbian everything I've seen points to the fact that she's a lesbian I find it very unlikely that she was ever attracted to men it's possible but it's unlikely Especially considering, like, the social norms of the time, which included, you're allowed to sort of be a lesbian as long as you marry a man at some point, kinda. That's a very huge simplification, but, like, I don't know. That's my opinion. I can see where people are coming from by being like, oh, she was bi. So I'm not gonna be like, no, you're wrong. But I am gonna say, she was probably a lesbian. Solid. Yeah. And I feel like I do that in so many of our articles where I'm just like, I don't know. I guess, like, they were queer, definitely. I don't know what, but they were queer. She was sapphic. I guess that's all we get to know. Yes. But either way, this is, like, way deeper in than we usually start. So let's start off with some, like, fun news. What news do we have? We have a queer arts market coming up. Oh, no. The queer arts market will have passed by the time you're hearing this. I'm sorry, y'all. Um, the patrons will be hearing it before the queer arts market because they get access to the podcast early. But the rest of y'all, it's over. I'm sorry, you missed it, but I probably posted a whole bunch of social media pictures, so if you weren't there, you probably knew it was happening. It probably wasn't because you didn't hear us talk about it on the podcast. If you couldn't make it there, we're hopefully going to do it again. Yeah, I've heard, like, we haven't done it yet, so we don't know how successful it is, but there's already some people talking about, like, maybe we should do another one. So, who knows, maybe we'll do another one. No matter what, I'm really excited about what's happened and what's come from it so far. We've had so many books donated, and that's really the step I'm focused on right now. So that's the one that's like in the forefront of my brain. But we've had so many amazing books donated, and we've been cataloging them, and everyone's been just so cooperative and so lovely. And all the artists I've talked to have just been not only incredible artists, but also incredible people. And like, I'm not going to say nothing problematic, because that will bite me in the ass so quick. But I am going to say they were so far lovely to work with. Maybe that'll change. I haven't had too much contact with everyone yet. We're excited anyway. We're excited and there's some beautiful art. And no matter what, I hope there's a lot of support that came to queer creators, especially in Edmonton. Because you know what? Let, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. Edmonton. Edmonton. So for all our global fans, because I know you're out there. I know United States, you're here for us. Russia, you're, you're listening to us. I Apparently a lot of you speak English. I don't know. Live your freaking life. And you know, Finland sometimes is out here to represent. I look at our statistics a lot and it's sort of random. I'm going to be honest, y'all. I don't know where y'all are coming from. It's different every time. But either way, in Edmonton, which is in Alberta, which is in Canada, which is where we live, Pride got cancelled because the Pride committee threw a hissy fit. Yes. 
Is there a better way to say that, or is that No, it? that's it. Uh, temper tantrum. Yeah, a temper tantrum. Like, Ooh, that's a good one. Like a three-year-old? Yeah, like a three-year-old. That's pretty much exactly it. Basically, what happened was, last year, Pride, there was a protest at Pride um, from some amazing activists, um, people of color, queer people within the community, all that kind of stuff, who came forward and were like, we don't want cops at Pride. Also, there's been some racist stuff happening. Can we, like, address that? Can we, can we talk about it? Can we talk about it, please? And the Pride Committee, let's just shorten it down, there was a lot of conflict before this, but, like, the Pride Committee eventually was like, yeah, okay. And then there was this vote, and the the people who were introduced into the Pride Committee to sort of, like, address these issues were locked out. These were trans and queer people of color, for the most part. The most, the part that really gets my goat, which is a saying I'm using now. I, I've never used it before, but I've said it. So Part I can't that gets go back. my goat. Part that gets my goat is that oh, they called the police on them. They weren't even protesting. They weren't They weren't even protesting. They were just standing outside the building because they're like, oh yes, this vote in this committee that we are a part of. That we Surely were, we're supposed to be to here. Make speeches that we were invited to make in. speeches at. Surely we can come in. So they called the police on trans people of color, which like... And lied to the police. And Let's lied to the police. forget about that. Yes. They were, like, they exaggerated what was going on. And then, like, let's, like, remove all of my feelings about the police. And I'm going to say, as someone whose brother wanted to be a cop, who has a lot of family, who's interested in law enforcement, or who is friends with law enforcement, a lot of family friends who are in law enforcement, if you give cops the wrong impression of a situation, that's putting people in danger. I'm sorry. It is. And, like... That might not be on you in every situation, but in this situation, it was on them because they were giving people purposefully the wrong information about a situation, which put all the people there in danger. It made the cop more defensive when he got there, more likely to use force, more likely to pull out a gun because he thought it was going to be worse than it was. I'm assuming it's a he. I don't know. I don't remember. But either way, in the end, luckily, through no help of the Pride Committee, everyone got out safe. It was fine. Everything de-escalated, and there was a whole dialogue around like, hey, you shouldn't have called the police on these people. Why were they locked out? And in response to these questions, um... Edmonton Pride Festival Society decided to just not do Pride. They were just like, you can't do it without us, so we're just not gonna do... We're just not gonna... It's over. It's over. We, Edmonton Pride Society, are in control of the spirit of pride, and we have cancelled it. (laughs) And everyone sort of reacted like, oh, you've cancelled it. Okay. And then I saw like 500 new like Facebook events show up and be like, all right, here's how like we're celebrating pride. And like a a good 50% of them, some of them have been garbage, I'm going to be honest, but a good 50% of them seem to be like way better and way more grassroots and way more community oriented. And not just bank floats. Exactly. Exactly. And you know what? That was the reason why me and Will hadn't gone last year. Because we didn't go last year. We missed the protest, sadly. But, like, we hadn't gone last year because we were just like, there's so many banks. There's It just doesn't feel like a community event. It feels like... A corporate event. A corporate event. So why would we go? But this year, I feel like there's so much change happening. And there's all these amazing activists reacting to the hissy fit of the Pride Festival Society with absolutely incredible work um two of the most like in the front ones are shades Shades of of color color. and rarica now 
who are like really leading the movement right now and sort of like you should check them out honestly um they're very community based so in Edmonton you're probably gonna find a little more but they always need donations so if y'all are sort of like wow this shouldn't have happened a lot of people from both of these organizations were there so if you want to like kick some money their way I'm pretty sure they'll be fine with that yeah, because like know, a Mark, lot of them are in one of them. I don't remember which one. Mm-hmm. I think it's Arca now. Have a patron up and going, mm-hmm. and I know they have places where you can donate to. Exactly. Them. So I think Shades of Color has a Patreon as well. Okay. And also, um, there's a whole thing going on. You may have seen about it on some of our social medias because we were sort of promoting it. But there's like a member there who needs some legal help. You can learn more about it on probably their social medias. Arca now. So check their social medias to learn more about it. So if you want to donate and help make Edmonton Pride just amazing this year, those are really the two organizations to go to to do that. So like, if you want to help Edmonton out, if you want to make our Pride not as bad as Manchester's, oof, is that the hot take? Is that the hot take of the day? If you want to make our Pride not a music festival with tickets, was it Manchester that had tickets? I think so. I think it was Manchester. Because you sell tickets. Because you sell tickets to protest. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's what I do. That's, yeah, that's an important part of the protest. To pay to be there. Obviously. Clearly. And Ariana Grande is going to be there. Okay, side note. Like, this, this is the one thing about, like, having a little distance between, like, recording the episode and the episode coming out. So, like, Ariana Grande sort of put out, like, a thing where she was like, I might possibly someday theoretically be interested in girls. And I was like, shit. Last episode, I was like, why is the straight person here? So she's questioning slash a fluid identity. She has not made she it clear. She says she does not, she's not into labels. She's not into labels. what she said. Which like, like, I'm, I don't want to be a bad person. Cause like, if this was like a friend of mine, I'd been like, oh yeah, call yourself queer, whatever. And if she was like, oh yeah, I'm calling myself queer. I would be like, cool. But she hasn't claimed the label queer. She's never said, I'm queer. She's never said, I'm attracted to women. She's never said, I like women. Or I I'm do not identify thing. with the gender assigned to me or anything like that. So until she chooses either a label for herself or says, I am not straight, I can't like say much on that. It's vague. This is coming from someone who knows very little about Ariana Grande and very little about like celebrities in general, but I feel like saying I'm not too into labels is just like um, the cis straight person's way of celebrities c- celebrities way sorry of saying uh, I might be LGBTQ plus, so, but I might also not. So you can't say that I'm problematic either way. Yeah. Yeah. You can't. You can't, like, like, not give me gigs because I'm queer, but you also can't call me out because I'm a straight person coming into queer spaces. Mm -hmm. And, like, I don't know how to feel about that. Like, I'm not going to say I have the divine voice, and I'm sure some of y'all love Ariana Grande and, like, keep loving her. I'm I'm not saying she's the worst person who's ever existed, but I am saying still don't like her. I don't like every queer person. She may be a queer person. I don't know. But either way, there's some things that she's done that made me be like, nothing. Wait, what's the thing? Thank you. Next. <laughs> I do like that. I do like that line. That's a that's a good line. I don't like the song, but I do like that one line. It's a good line. It's solid. All credit goes to that. And like, going back into what we were talking about earlier, just because I don't like the artist doesn't mean all the art's bad. That's real. Doesn't mean you shouldn't enjoy the art. Doesn't mean that like, if the artist is a bad person, we find out later, 
that she has done some awful things that you can't still like her art, you just have to acknowledge that where the source is. Just be like, oh, I found a super shiny pebble in this absolutely polluted lake, but it's a nice pebble and that's fine. I'm not gonna judge you for that. Just mention that the lake's polluted maybe. I don't know, I don't know, that's just my thought. So that was a long digression. Yeah, that was a long digression, I'm so sorry. Um, any other exciting news? It's Pride Month. If y'all are not patrons and you're hearing this, it's Pride Month. That's Go super out. super exciting. Be Go gay. out. Be gay. Um, do crimes. No. Do crimes. Do crimes. Don't back out. Just go for it, Will. Do crimes. Go out. Be gay. Do crimes. Especially if you're in a place where being gay is not legal. Then especially be gay and do crimes. But I'm also going to say that just like keep in mind that Pride Month, as much as for some people it's definitely going out on the streets and being loud, it can just be a moment of quiet reflection for you where you're like, where you take a second and you're like, oh, this isn't actually something to be ashamed of. And I love the big rowdy pride. I love it. I'm an extrovert. It's what I'm about. I yell a lot. It's what I'm about. Y'all, y'all know me. You, you, you've heard me talk. You know what I'm about. But just because that's how I experience my pride does not mean that has to be how you experience your pride. And if how you experience your pride is just literally being around a group of friends or even being alone in your room and just being like, let's just strip away one layer, just one layer of the self-hatred that society has given me, then it's a win. You've won Pride Month. You've done it. Congratulations. You have all the love I can give you. All right. So enjoy Pride Month. Reach out to your queer friends if you're not queer yourself. Celebrate with them. Mourn with them. Be proud of them. Do be whatever. Be proud of yourself. Be proud of yourself. Just connect with community if you can. I know I just said that it can just be with yourself, especially if you don't have a community in your near area. But if you have any community, I really encourage you to reach out. And you know what? Even if you're like, I'm an introvert, I'm really not for the big parties. That's fine. There's other introverts who are queer. I know that's shocking. You may have watched a lot of media that makes you think that all queer people are extroverts, but you'll find a lot of queer introverts who want to have the same experience that you do. And maybe it'd be cool to make an event for them. Maybe you're the person who's gonna make the coolest event ever for queer introverts during Pride, where y'all can be proud, just not loud. I like that. So that's, that's my advice for Pride Month. And y'all didn't ask for it, but y'all got it. And like, if you're listening to this, mm -hmm. be proud of yourself. This exactly. is a step. Yeah, you're learning. That's awesome. Do you know how awesome it is that someone, at, like you're, you can't have been assigned this. No one respects me enough to assign this to you for homework. This is something that you chose to do. You reached out and you decided to learn. And that's just such an amazing thing. And I'm floored every day about how many people just reach out and choose to learn. And it really like makes me think about how our society has been like, so many people are lazy and won't do any work. But at the same time, I'm thinking about all these people who are in their free time just being like, I wanna learn a thing. It might be a thing that's never going to get me money or praise or any respect from the people around me, but I wanna learn something. I think that's really cool. So you're doing that right now. So I'm saying I'm proud of you. And I hope that you can find a little bit of pride in that yourself. Be proud of yourself is what I'm saying. This was way longer than most of our intros are. Let's enter the life. Yes. Of Rotimi Fanny Coyote. Another 
person who should definitely have been proud of himself. Oh, definitely. Yes. Incredible, incredible artist. As Will said, just like uh, he was a photographer. We're about to dive in that, but oh, we're just going to get started already. He was a photographer. And honestly, I just love his photographs. Even outside of me being like, I love a queer person. His photographs are gorgeous. I really encourage you to look them up yourselves. Yeah. As we've said before, we shouldn't be your first stop. If you're interested in photography or if you're just interested in seeing beautiful, interesting rich things definitely just google it it's it's easy just google it and look through some of his pictures and maybe like find an art gallery online that will show you like a whole bunch of things that he's done and they're just so gorgeous and for me the colors are some of my favorite colors and when like put together. the saturation oh, and like yes. the shadow versus yeah. the light and like I can talk a long time about how much I love his pictures oh yeah definitely but a little bit about him first. Mm -hmm. He was born in a place called Lagos in Nigeria in 1955 mm -hmm. into a family called the Yoruba family. And I believe his father was a chief of some sort. Mm -hmm. And then when Rotimi was 11, they had to leave Nigeria because of, of a civil war and a military coup. Mm -hmm. And so they left straight for the UK. And after that, I believe he never came back to Nigeria. Yeah. And instead, he just studied in the UK, mm -hmm. went to a whole bunch of private schools, which I see must have been a really weird transition. Yeah, yeah, to go from being an incredibly rich person in Nigeria to being a rich person in the UK. Yeah. Very different, especially <laughs> if you're a black person as well. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I, have we mentioned this? Rotimi Feikyo was a black man. Yeah, a black man, a black gay man, mm -hmm. and he faced a lot of things in his as, life. As you'd assume. Yes. What's that Cap Captain Holt joke? in like one of those episodes where he goes up on his like black gay discrimination committee he's like the worst thing about being a black gay detective in the nypd is the discrimination and just everyone bursts out laughing yeah that's real yeah not a cop but not i a feel cop. like Routine fan and Coyote would be like on the same role mm -hmm. but uh and then after he came out he as as gay he was re rejected by his family mm -hmm and moved to New York for, or moved to the States for a while, lived in New York, he lived in Washington and studied, got his master's. He befriended this guy called Robert Mapplethorpe, who was apparently a very influential uh, artist. I don't know anything about him, but he was a big influence uh, in Rotimi's life. And then Rotimi just got really i don't want to say obsessed obsessed but really invested invested in photography and he kept talking about it. i've read so many quotes by him and i don't know how many i'm gonna put into this podcast but this one is probably the one that like he was writing about his photography this is what he said about it that it was a weapon if i am to resist attacks on my integrity and indeed my existence on my own terms oh that's an amazing quote right and it just like shows how he uses this art as not only an expression but as a way of protection and like self-preservation and i think that like really brings it back to what we were talking about in the very beginning of this episode where we were like talking about how interesting and complex it can be when you look at the life of an artist plus their art instead of being like death of the author i think it's incredibly interesting and valuable to be like look at all the ways they're always affected by their life and i know a lot of like this isn't in, like a unique opinion or anything but like it can be really valuable to know why they made this mm -hmm. and why they made this piece and it makes for me looking at his art so much more enriching because i think without having this background and i think this is because i'm not a 
photographer and I don't look at photography the way a photographer would or someone who's enthusiastically interested in photography would. But I'd look at him and be like, oh, I love this color palette. And then I sort of move on. But knowing all this background about his life and the reasons he chose to go into art, I actually read this entire essay he wrote just sort of about his art and about all he created. And just knowing all that and then looking at the photos, it's transformative. It really adds so much to the experience for me. That makes sense. I feel that too. And like, yeah, his art is so beautiful even without knowing the context. But once you know the context, you can see it. Mm-hmm in the art and like maybe like a really fancy art professor could see it without like given his background but i'm not that and it helps (laughs) also i always feel bad when i like start commenting on like someone's art because i'm like i don't i hope y'all know i'm not a professional opinion on this like y'all know right like i can talk about the history but when i talk about the art no it's very much my opinion and not my fact you just like the colors i just like their colors i think they're pretty and i feel like one of the most things that i really love about his art is how they're both very stylized but you can also tell the movement in it oh 100% yeah yeah and i just love that i don't know how don't know how he does it but i love it mm-hmm. in how you can even if you can't really tell a story there's some movement happening mm-hmm. so yeah his art touches a lot upon his his life experiences and his nigerian background including like masks which is a part of nigerian traditions sorry continue his his experience of being a, a black man outside of his home country mm-hmm. being a black man in a, in a white society mm-hmm. being a black man in a racist society mm-hmm. and having lost so much of his heritage and his family life and then going from that to losing the rest of his family because they didn't accept him coming out as queer and going from that to being in like a queer like in enjoying queer society and like going to queer events and like going to gay bars and stuff like that and as a black man being objectified and being sexualized in these really dehumanizing ways, which he talked about a lot in why he chose to photograph what he photographed, which is almost exclusively black bodies and black men and black masculinity, because he saw the way they're being viewed and being photographed in queer society and was like, that's not how it should be because there was so much racism and there was so much objectification and there was so, so much exploitation. And instead of, I'm not going to say like embracing that because I don't think the people who were a part of that were in fully like embracing that. But instead of like becoming complicit in that, he put himself behind the lens and he was like, okay, I'm taking the camera and I'm going to show you what I see as a black man, as a Nigerian man, as a gay man, and put all these experiences together. And it's just really interesting to see how those intersections of his identity all sort of rejected him in these different ways. It sucks. It sucks to see that everywhere he turned, they were rejecting him in some way. Or if they weren't rejecting him, they were exploiting him. And that's not to say his life was sad at all, because it it wasn't. He, He had his work and he had a partner who he had lived with for most of his life. And his work, again, was amazing. And, and he was really successful. He was a lot very of people successful. loved what he was doing. Exactly. When you put good art out there like that, sometimes you actually hit what you're what you should hit. And people saw his work and was like, Oh, and I'm I'm sure he changed minds and I'm sure he affected the society he was in. 
and just he had those good experiences but it's really important to recognize that it wasn't a situation where like the gay community was a super accepting space where he was you know saved from the non-accepting life of his family that's just not what it was and like reading a lot of the work when i was doing my research reading a lot of the work around um rotimi one of the things that I definitely noticed was people were like, oh, but he escaped the homophobic Nigeria or he escaped his homophobic family when that wasn't, like, it, it's not really what happened. Like, it's a very oversimplification of a really complex situation where in Nigeria it was against the law to have his identity and to have sexual relationships with men. Um, I don't remember if it still is, but I think it still is. Um, but even he recognized, he was like, but in rural communities, I could have been accepted. And in small towns, I could have been accepted. And with his family, again, it's an easy thing to be like, oh, they're homophobic and awful. But then paint the queer community as like the people who opened their doors to him. When that's not what happened, his family rejected him for being gay. And then the queer community exotified and sexualized him for being black. And yes, one was safer, but that doesn't mean it was good. And that doesn't mean it's how he should have been treated. And it definitely doesn't mean that the queer community can pat itself on the back. I think it's important to point out, specifically as we're talking about how uh, how I feel it's a trend to talk about how accepting and great the the white world is, mm-hmm. like like UK and mm-hmm. like like America to some degree. Yeah, but in England, uh, quote unquote homosexual acts were only decriminalized in 1967, and while Rotimi Fanny lived in in England after that. That doesn't mean that the society was accepting. Yeah. And Just because it was better doesn't mean it's good. And in, in the States, nationwide, being gay has only been legalized in 2003, way after Fan and Cody died. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like it's unfair to pass on the judgment. Especially considering we'll always bring it back to this when you talk about someone from the continent of Africa. But there's a reason that there was that particular brand of homophobia. Because there's been homophobia in Africa. It was complex. It was interesting. It was rich. They'd had thousands. Well, more than that, probably. Tens of thousands of different communities and all of them had a different relationship with queerness. Most of them have been erased. So we don't know how they reacted. And there were definitely homophobic reactions. And I've read about homophobic reactions from the ones that we still have records of. There was homophobia then, but the brand of homophobia that Britain and Europe peddled is completely different from the brand that in Nigeria specifically, because that's the country we're talking about, was discussing. It wasn't the same homophobia. And because Britain came in, I think it was Britain that colonized them. I think that's a safe assumption. Um, Because the country that colonized them, colonized them, it completely stunted the growth of their community, especially their queer community. So the homophobic practices as they existed in Nigeria, don't remember all of them, but like before colonialism were completely pressed restart on and they had to start from where British colonial homophobia was at instead of being on their own timeline. I don't know if I'm making much sense here. The main point is that the strand of homophobia that exists especially in black community today, are from directly directly derived from the homophobia of white settlers. Yes. And like from white colonists. 
Yes. And, like, we obviously can't know what would have happened if colonialism hadn't happened because we don't have that information. But I definitely can say that there'd be completely different atmosphere for queer people in Africa and for queer people in Nigeria. And to sort of be like, well, he was saved by moving to England seems so disrespectful to that and to that history. And to that history that not only should we acknowledge, but Rotimi Vanikiori acknowledged constantly. That was the roots of his work. So to sort of treat him like that when his work was about removing that treatment seems so disrespectful. And I don't know, that's my hot take. I'm, I'm with you on that though. And I think Vanikiori's art very much embraces that. Yeah. Embraces that complexity and embraces that sort of balance. Yeah, and it's a tight balance to keep. But again, it's a really worth your time to look at his art. But if you're sort of a more um, reader like me, there's also an essay he wrote. Uh, we'll put it in the notes of the show, the show notes. We'll put it there so you can read it. I think it's just an amazing piece of work. I, I was just, I didn't expect it because I was like, he's a photographer. That's his strength. But then I just read this essay and I was like, wow, okay, he had more than one strength. Okay, fine, whatever. He's beaten me. <laughs> he's beaten me. But, but that's okay. Definitely check out his art mm-hmm. and his writing and his photography and more of his life because he's a very interesting person mm-hmm. and there's more to him than just his art. Exactly. And if you want to find a person who really embodies pride, he'd be a great one to look at. Because I mean, like, there were so many things that were telling him not to have that pride, to be ashamed, to hide himself, or to hide parts of himself. And he just didn't. He just responded over and over again by making great art, which is something that I think we can all learn from. So, Theme of Pride Month because of amazing Fanny Coyote. Make great art. Just do it. It doesn't have to be gay. It doesn't have to be gay. It can be. It can be. Make the art that you think other people will be ashamed of. It's yours. Make it. Do it. I'm telling you. Make great art. great. Be proud. Exactly. And you don't even have to share anyone with anyone. Make it for yourself if you want to. Or share it with everyone. I'd love to see it. Email it to me if you want to at queerhistorypatreon at gmail.com. I'd love to see your amazing art and look at it and brag about it on this podcast or also probably on social media. It really depends if y'all are like, I'm okay with you showing it on social media. You give me the directions there. I can just look at it and be like, wow. If you just want to share a piece of art that you did with someone and not even have a reaction or have like only that one person react, you can send it to me. I'm here. I'm Um, listening. I'm watching. Reminder that we also do Queer Works Friday. Yes, we do Queer Works Friday. So you can showcase your art on our social medias if that's your thing, which it's a lot of people's things. And with that, let's move into the next section of the podcast, which is Wrecking the Queers. Wrecking the Queers. This is where we, A, get wrecked. We read your emails, your comments, whatever you send to us, we read it, and you wreck us. Mm-hmm. B, where we wreck things recommend aka recommend things, things. Uh, music books movies video games whatever we engage with that we appreciate that is good queer art we pass it on to you folks mm-hmm. so it's my turn this month so get ready because i have a great recommendation and we've been recommending books a lot lately i'm sorry about that but that's we're how both life readers is. we're both big nerds we're big huge you nerds. get you get a lot of books you sorry, get a lot of books. that's how it works so i'm gonna recommend 
Sadie by Courtney Summers. And if you're listening to this as a podcast, I'm just going to go ahead and assume you like podcasts. And half of this book is a podcast. It's a transcript of a podcast. It's a transcript of a podcast. But what's really, really interesting is that the audiobook has the podcast recorded. Interesting. So they, they've recorded the podcast as it is in the book. And then you can listen to it in the audiobook. So you listen to a podcast in the audiobook. And that seems perfect for y'all. Also, it's queer. Um, I'm gonna like sort of go a little bit more in depth. I'm actually just gonna read the dust jacket because I have it right here. And just, I I, I really do want to give y'all an idea of what you're getting into because I think this is one where you really should know before you step in. All right? All right, I'm reading the dust jacket. When popular radio personality Wes McRae receives a desperate phone call from a stranger imploring him to find 19-year-old runaway Sadie Hunter, he's not convinced there's a story there. Girls go missing all the time. But as soon as West's boss discovers Sadie fled home after the brutal murder of her little sister Maddie, he sees the makings of something big and orders West to the small town of Cold Creek, Colorado to uncover what happened. Sadie has no idea that her story will soon become the subject of a blockbuster podcast. She just wants revenge. Armed with a switchblade, Sadie follows the meager steps of clues, hoping they'll lead to the man who took Maddie's life, because she's determined to make him pay for it with his own. But as West traces her journey to the darkest, most dangerous corners of the big cities and small towns, a deeply unsettling mystery begins to unfold, one that's bigger than them both. Can he find Sadie before it's too late? Alternating between Sadie's unflinching voice as she hunts the killer and the podcast transcript tracking the clues she left behind, Sadie is a breathless thriller about the lengths we go to protect the ones we love and the high price we pay when we can. It will haunt you long after the final page. Okay, so that's that's the sort of synopsis. Um, there's a lot of content warnings you have there. I don't want to spoil anything, and I could spoil things by giving content warnings, but I'm, I'm, I'm gonna. So, like, just skip if you want absolutely no idea what's gonna go on. But here's some content warnings for the books, if you're interested. Um, murder, obviously. Uh, sexual abuse, pedophilia, violence, misogyny. Those are really the ones that are most prominent in the book. There are probably some others, but those are the ones that you'll see pretty obviously. So, if any of those things, just keep in mind that they're in the book. But either way, this book is absolutely breathtaking. It's such an interesting look at sort of, this sounds terrible, but the missing girls trope, the true crime missing girls trope, which I hate saying, right? Because that's, there's something, ooh, it's so gross. Because you don't want to ignore it because you don't want to ignore these people's stories, but at the same time, you don't want to glorify violence against, it's, it's a whole thing. And for me, true crime isn't really my thing, but I find it interesting in a very meta level, like in a very removed sense. I'm like, I don't really like true crime. It's not what I like to engage with. No judgment if that's not you, but I'm very interested in sort of like the moral complexities of it. Cause I think even the biggest true crime fan can admit there's a lot of moral complexity there. And I think this book does an incredible job of really diving into that moral complexity on both while also giving the quote-unquote victim back the mic and being like here we go let's hear her voice let's hear what she has to say and it's just a really incredible read that i'd really recommend there's queer characters in it they are not super prominent like it is hard to explain but the queerness isn't the most prominent part but just like i don't know if this is like too disconnected but coming from someone who lives in Canada where missing and murdered indigenous women is something that you can't forget about. Like you can, 
you shouldn't. And it's something that you need to always keep in your mind. This is a really good book to read, even though the main character is an indigenous. I like to see a version of this that had an indigenous main character and was written ideally by an indigenous woman. But just sort of, it, it, it definitely deals with classism. It doesn't deal with racism, but definitely does deal with classism and misogyny and a lot of the, the ways that misogyny is constantly, constantly there. It never stopped being there. And it really looks at how every single misogynistic act is a form of violence, which is so interesting to me because that's actually something that's always hard for me to grasp because I'm like, well, they didn't hurt me physically, so it's fine. But it really in depth explores how each tiny misogynistic act makes way for the huge amounts of violence that happens to women and girls. And even like it doesn't ignore the female characters who are complicit or even encouraging or pushing forward this misogyny. It puts a spotlight on them just as much as the men and I, I value that so much. And I also really value how it takes its male characters into account and it really buckles down and shows you the process they're going through. Not only in the horrid violence that they do, but also in the horrifying realization of the violence that happens to women and girls. Because I think that's a story I'd honestly like to see more. I think a lot of men are ignoring this story because they want to tell the stories of other people. But I'd really value a lot more men talking about finding this stuff out because it's terrifying to find out that these people who you assumed were safe as you to walk out at night aren't. To find out that those little things you've been doing made way for someone you love and someone you care about to either be hurt or to be killed. I think that's something that is worth learning about and I think this book does an amazing job at looking at it and gives so much empathy to all the characters and also just Oh, it's so good. It's so good. I could I could recommend it for hours. Really give it a chance if you can. It's so interesting. Um, I actually got recommended it by Death by the Books, which is a podcast that I listen to. Y'all like podcasts? Y'all might like this. I'm giving two recommendations. I'm sorry. It's like, I'll, I might give this a full recommendation later, actually. But um, I'll just give it a quick one right now. Uh, Death by the Books, it's just a podcast that sort of looks at books that involve death in any way. Exciting. And I sort of wanted to get into like a little bit more horror, a little bit more creepy stuff. And this isn't horror, I wouldn't say. Sort of thrillerish. I don't know. I don't know how you describe it. But I've gotten some really great book recommendations from them. Actually, three of my favorite, no, four, four of my favorite books. Five. Oh my gosh, five. Sorry. Five of my favorite books that I've read this entire year come from that podcast. And they give like so many book recommendations because they read so much, many books. And also one of the hosts is queer. I don't know if the other one is. At the very least, one of them is queer, lesbian, has a wife, really nice to hear about. I just like hearing about that kind of stuff. Either way, if you're at all interested in books that involve death or horror or just want to listen to two cool people talking about books, that's a great podcast to listen to. So Death by Books, I'll also be linked in the thing. I'll give them a full recommendations later. But like they literally recommended to me so far, my all of my favorite books of the year. And yeah, they're just great. So definitely check them out if you have the time. I enjoyed them so much. And I love listening to them on the bus. Anyways, that is the end of my recommendations. I'm really excited to read Sadie. So mm -hmm. yeah. 
I've been just literally, I listened to it on audiobook from my library app. Also, all of y'all should get a library app. You should. Just trust me on this. I listened to it on my library app and literally the second I finished it, I turned to Will and I'm like, we're going to the bookstore and we're buying this book. And that's why I have a copy in front of me right now. And it was so funny because like I went directly in the bookstore and usually when people stop me and they're like, what are you looking for? I'm like, ah, I'm just looking. I was like, Sadie, Courtney Summers. They're like, ah, I got you. And they had just read the book and we both were like, oh, wasn't it a wild? And we were just both like sort of freaking out over it while I paid for it because it's that good. Everyone likes it. Well, no, everyone probably doesn't like it. But if it seems like something you like, I really recommend it because there's a lot of reasons to love this book. All right, I think that's about it. This episode's already running a little bit long. So we're just going to quickly wrap it up. Um, all our information is we have a Tumblr, a Twitter, an Instagram, a Facebook, all under Making Queer History, except for the Facebook, which is just under Queer History. Sorry about that. That's just how life works sometimes. Our website is www.makingqueerhistory.com. Our email is queerhistorypatreon at gmail.com. Our Patreon. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash queerhistory. That's how we get paid. That's how we continue to make these things. And if you're someone who loves learning, who loves... The stories we tell who... Loves being gay. Who loves, loves being gay. knowing gay things. Or who loves being in a community where we just sort of talk about this kind of stuff. You should become a patron. Or at least follow us on Patreon. Because we're going to have some interesting community things coming up soon. I don't know. I'm not going to talk about it. You'll figure it out. Either you way. You can also see cool lenses and pictures of our cat. Exactly. We post them. And I just posted one. So if you were a patron, you probably saw that. And it was incredible. All right. I think that's all. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for all your support. We mm -hmm. are not able of doing this without you. Mm -hmm. So thank you from the bottom of our gay, gay hearts. Yeah. All right. Thank you. And remember, history is queerer than you think. We have always existed and we are still here. Stories of those slumbered, we won't disappear. We're taking the pen back into our own hands. We live and we breathe and we keep creating, taking a stand. History is queerer than you think. Yes, we will continue. Yes, we will improve. Making history. Just what we do Yes, we will keep growing Yes, we'll never stop Every step we're taking Is history in the making We hold our own future We learn from the They've tried to remove our legacy, but we are built to last. So listen to the stories, cause they'll help us grow. From Sappho to Frida Kahlo, there's always more to know. History is queerer than you think. Yes, we will continue. Every step we're taking is history.
Every step we're taking